I couldn't hear it. So, and I didn't want to mess with anything because you told me my mic sounded fine. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm not touching it. I don't need to hear the intro. Hands off. Absolutely everything. I will be accepting all the apologizes for or apologies for <laughs> my uh, mic over the last two years. So um, just keep them keep them coming in because I know I sound amazing and uh, <laughs> first time ever. This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of Bourbon bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. It's another great episode of the Bourbon Community Roundtable, and this is the 82nd edition. Over the past few weeks, Jack Daniels has made its case against a dog toy manufacturer that's made its way all the way to the Supreme Court. And there's no better time than the present to give our resident attorney, Brian Hare of Sippin' a chance to break it down for us and what this means for parody law and for anyone else trying to infringe on a trademark. Then we dive in with our first topic and that's expensive bottles of bourbon. I'm not talking secondary, I'm talking like $500 bottles. And this idea came to me when I started seeing lots of people dismissing the new Daniel Weller release because it's 11 years old and only four proof points higher than their standard Weller 12 offering. Now, granted, there's some different yeast strains and some different glass changes, but Buffalo Trace is putting a price tag that is around 900% higher. So does bourbon need $500 bottles? In the second half, we look at distillery tasting kits. Four Roses recently announced theirs and people are getting amped up for it. However, many distilleries have done this in the past and failed. So has the time come when we could see this trend start taking off? With that, enjoy this week's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Christopher Patton, who's uh, had a question read here before on the Burn Pursuits Above the Char. And he asked a question, if you look into a crystal ball, what bourbon or from what distillery would you guess might overtake Buffalo Trace Antique Collection in the most sought after in 10 to 15 years. So that's a great question, Chris. And I'll say you've, you can hear my commentary on this and past Burton Pursuit episodes. Uh, I've even written about it before as well. But if Jim Beam were to ever pursue that kind of quality, high level, limited edition strategy versus the volume game, which is what they do. They're really good about the volume. You know, the Jim Beam white label, regular old maker's mark. It's about churning and burning and getting in concerts and getting in uh, rodeos and festivals and uh, movie theaters, anywhere, you know, that can be, it can be poured. They're so great at the volume game, which to be frank, that is how you make money in the business. The limited edition run actually does not make as much money as you might think because the volume's not there. And as Buffalo Trace has proven, it can be a bit of a headache too because you get all these people wanting it, they can't get it, so they have to say no a lot. But if there was one company that could rival what they're doing, it is Jim Beam, or rather Beam Suntory, which owns the Jim Beam label, it owns Knob Creek, Booker's, uh, Basil Hayden, Bakers, Old Granddad, Makers Mark. I mean, they have they have a portfolio that if they wanted to, you know, take a 12-year cash strength Makers Mark, <coughs> Makers Mark, thank you very much for finally getting around to that. That's going to be, by the way, when the 12-year-old Makers Mark hits the shelves, I'm going to be going batshit crazy. So at the time of this recording, it is not on the shelves, but I digress. Anyway. So they could come out with a well-aged cash drink, weeded bourbon that could go head-to-head with William LaRue Weller. They have probably the best or greatest American rye whiskey ever created, and that was the Booker's Rye, a 13-year-old rye cash drink from a few years ago. So they have the rye stocks that could compete with uh, Thomas Handy and Sazerac. And then, you know, George T. Stagg, I mean, that's a great bourbon. But it's straight up lost in head-to-heads to Booker's before and blind tasting. So uh, they've already got the portfolio. 
but they don't put it together in one collection release. They time it out various times over the years. So they, they don't they don't strategically put it out like Buffalo Trace does. So the minute that Beam Sumtori ever wants to compete in that limited edition game in the fall, instead of doing their one-offs and they want to do it as a package, I think Bean Sumtori could overtake Buffalo Trace has uh, having the most coveted annual limited edition series. If not overtake, boy, they could go head-to-head very strongly because they already do it on an individual brand basis. So that's going to do it for me on this week's Above the Char. Great question from Christopher. You know, there's a reason why he's been, he's had his uh, questions answered here on the air twice now. And if you want to be like Christopher, hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. Click the contact button. And if I like the question, I'll read it on the air. Until next week, cheers. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring green for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Give 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. Hey everybody, it is Bourbon Community Roundtable number 82, and I'm excited for this one. We've got two really good topics to go over, but as we were kind of saying before we got recording here, we're uh, we're a little little sluggish trying to get back in the groove of things. It's a Sunday evening that we're trying to, trying to get this done, and I don't know, it's one of those things that Ryan's been kind of pushing that agenda on me a little bit to say like, hey, weekends are the family, like let's not do the work, and here we are, always working, even on weekends. Yeah, it never stops. Just do as I say, not as I do. Uh, kind of type of thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm good at giving advice, bad at uh implementing advice. But uh yeah, it's been a a long week and weekend. I had Meet Church Madness was this week. He was in town and shown him Kentucky and all this and it was like it's like I'm so glad you are leaving. I can't spend another <laughs> another day with y'all. No, it was a lot of fun and got to show off the best of what Kentucky has to offer. So they they loved it. That's one of those things that maybe we take for granted always being here because uh, between the, at least the three of us on the top here, between Ryan, myself, and Brian, there's something going on with bourbon literally every single week. You're getting invited to something and you turn down 90% of all that sort of stuff. But when somebody comes in, they're like, they're going to jam pack three days worth of stuff. And you're going like, can we just do this over the span of three months or something? Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to do all this. I've, I've seen this Rick house 50 times before. I don't need to go again. Yeah, their agenda was impressive. It was like Michter's Buffalo Trace one day, then the next day was like Willet, and then Heaven Hill, and Makers, and I mean they they hit them all in like three days, and I was like, I don't know how I, it was impressive. So not to mention a little stop at Pursuit Spirits as well, and Pursuit Spirits. Yes, that was the most important. The <laughs> they got to see all three phases. They got to see the big corporations. They got to see the mid brands, and they got to see the broke ass startups. So. <laughs> Yes, exactly. But I, I, Pursuit Spirits was the only one that sent them with a, a homemade picture of old fashions that they could take on the bus with them. You don't get that from every other brand. <laughs> there you, know? you go. See, 
come check us out. We'll, we'll, we'll send you on your way with some goodies. That's right. All right. So let's go ahead and go around the horn here real quick. So Brian, since you're up here to the top right, I'll let you kind of kick it off. Yeah. Thanks for having me back, guys. I'm listening to the thunder in the background. That's Right now, it's kind of the phase of the rain that's kind of soothing. So I like that part. Hopefully it doesn't, doesn't turn. Uh, but I'm Brian with Sipping Corn, Bourbon Justice, uh, all those socials, all that stuff. Thanks for having me, guys. Excited for this one. As always, glad you're here. And I, I think before we get started, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run a question back to you as well. But Jordan, I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, Jordan, one of the three guys from BreakingBourbon.com. As always, a pleasure to be here. Looking forward to a good chat. Oh, yes. Glad to have you back. Yeah, missed you guys. It's been a while. It's been it a has. While. And Blake, with the new microphone, welcome back finally. Technically, still the same microphone, just somebody <laughs> that can actually connect it to my laptop. So, yes, it is, uh, it's good to be back. I don't mind screwing things up. I don't like to continuously screw things up, so I'm glad we got this one fixed. And, uh, yeah, thank you, Brian Bikey, for, for the help here. But I'm Blake from Sealbox and Bourboner. Always fun to be on here and um, look forward to a good show. Seems like you're perfectly fine with it. Still messing up. It just... Took forever. Oh, it's, it's, <laughs> once it's done, I like to say, you know, I don't like it being messed up. Really, I'm like, ah, screw it, whatever. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> All right. So, Brian, I had one question to kind of throw at you because I originally had this as a topic for the roundtable, but I figured it's really not much of a discussion. But since you are the resident lawyer, I kind of want you to just kind of give a, a quick update on really what it means for the lawsuits recently from Jack Daniels. I know that they had one against their. Uh, the dog toy that went right. to the U.S. Yep. Supreme Court, um, and then they also lost one that was a a battle against a name that they were trying to go against. I think that was over in the U.K. or something like that. I think there was a it was like Jack and something, but they were trying to sue against the name that was on a particular type of whiskey. If you're not familiar with that one, yeah, I, know I don't you, know that one. Yeah, well, I'll have to look that one up. For I'll sure. send it to you. But anyway, if you want to kind of just go over the just to highlight the the dog toy in the U S Supreme court, really kind of what this means and, and sort of like what the precedent sets for things going in the future. I think it'd be really good. Good to know. Yeah. So this one, I guess we talked briefly about it maybe two months ago or so, because this, this is a case, a dog chew toy and whiskey fight goes to the United States Supreme court where they're deciding, you know, these monumentally important cases of, of civil rights and other rights that we have under our constitution and that same court's dealing with a fight between this, these folks who make uh, squeaky toys with poop jokes on them um, who were sued by Jack Daniels because they made a, a squeaky toy that was in the exact same shape as a Jack Daniels bottle. And instead of saying things like old number seven, it said something about number two and, uh, you know, all these, all these jokes about, you know, basically you know, bathroom humor type things. And they do it, they do it for other brands too. So they had one that, um, that played on Budweiser that they called butt wiper. They had another one that was Corona and they had some play on that. So they, you know, they went straight to this, you know, 11 year old boy humor on all these brands. And <laughs> As we're sitting here chuckling in the background, it's, we're like, yeah, <laughs> it's, we're sitting like, yeah, it's pretty funny. Right. It shows um, how mature we are. <laughs> so, but yeah, not denying that it's not funny, but the, the, it, although one of the Supreme court justices in the, in the oral argument, and this is, she's the one who ended up writing the opinion on it. She point blank looked at the attorneys for the two toy folks and said, what's the humor here? I don't find it funny. And it's like, okay, maybe we know where she's, she might be headed. But so, so, so they have these dog chew toys. And they have writing that looks exactly like all these brands. And Jack Daniels sues them because they allege that there was going to be confusion from whether or not Jack Daniels either uh, is behind it or endorsed it or has some kind of connection with it. And the, the dog chew people basically said, this is just a, a First Amendment right to make fun of other companies. We have this right of parody. You know, Weird Al Yankovic. You know, it makes fun of things and he gets to do it. Well, the thing is, he tends to get permission first. And there's a lot of other parody. You know, comics make fun of things and they don't, they're not infringing on trademark rights and they're making money from doing their stand up tours and all those sorts of things. So it's really came down to this fight between trademark protection and protecting the consumer from 
confusion as to source or endorsement or those sorts of things. And First Amendment right, you know, generally the First Amendment says you can you can say practically anything. You know, there's some things you can't. You can't. Uh, the famous example is you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. You know, you can't do something that's going to cause damage uh, or, you know, that kind of panic like that. And that's what they were resting their case on. And the Supreme Court, after a bunch of briefs were filed, they had an oral argument and they just decided about two weeks ago that there could be a case here. So they they didn't affirmatively rule that there's infringement here. They didn't say you got to, you can't make these toys anymore, but they're allowing the case to go forward and allowing Jack Daniels to prove that there's confusion or potential confusion about the source or endorsement of these toys. Um, so it's, that's a, it's a monumental decision. It's a game-changing decision, but it's not, a, it's not a final ruling. There's not been a ruling that people are confused or consumers could be confused about this. So there's still more to be watched here. Maybe there'll be a settlement. Maybe they'll pull the, the uh, old number two squeaky toy um, and do the other ones and, and hope that they don't get sued by those folks. But there's definitely more to be seen here. Okay. So they're, I, th- I thought they, the Supreme Court sided with them and they basically said they got to pull them off the market or something like that. So that's not the case? Well, not, not quite the case yet. What they really ruled is that they're, they, Jack Daniels can go ahead and try to prove confusion now. And I think they have a pretty good case on that because of, of the way it looks and the words that they're using. Um, not that Jack Daniels is in the business of making their own chew toys. That's not really the issue. But you can't, you can't imply that someone has endorsed your product. And that's kind of what they're doing here by being so close to it. Um, the other thing that Jack Daniels argued is they, that they need to protect their brand in particular because it's alcohol. And they have a social and kind of moral responsibility to not kind of make fun of alcohol, not, you know, have a toy that a kid's going to be playing with. Um, you know, they want to keep it, you know, uh, they want to keep it to alcohol, not keep it to things that you make jokes about with, with kids. So they had a couple arguments going into it. So there's definitely more to be seen here. Would this set this off to say, okay, well, if Jack Daniels wins, so on and so forth. And they say, okay, we'll no longer make this. Is Budweiser and all these other brands going to follow suit? Yeah, I would think so. So that that that's where it could really come in is is they get start getting sued by Budweiser, or they get sued by whoever owns Corona these days, which actually might be Budweiser. But their their business model is is in trouble. I think. I think uh, just from getting buried by all of these big companies that'll be suing them because if they can show confusion, then they've they've got a claim, and I think it'll open up the floodgates, and that's probably what a put them out of business. Interesting. I think Ryan and I would talk about this on a This Week in Bourbon episode. And I've been to like a local dog park, whatever gathering, they have little vendors set up. And I remember there being other little toys there. And I think somebody else in the comments said they've seen it before, something like like Puppy Van Tinkle and some other stuff. And it's just, I don't know, these people that would probably sell it on Etsy. So I, I don't know if this says something that would say like, oh, you should probably not do that anymore. Yeah. And, and it's just like the people, you know, at a, at an art fair, if you're in a college town, they're going to have, you know, whatever the, your local colleges they are going to have logoed sweatshirts and stuff that they've embroidered or whatever they're doing with it. You know, that's technically illegal. You need a license to do that because those are, you're going to be putting a trademark protected logo onto those shirts. So, so that part of it's not necessarily new. There's definitely people making their own toys. I've seen the, you know, the Maker's Mark two toys. There's all sorts of things that people are doing on the side as their little side hustles, and they're going to need licenses for that kind of stuff. All right, there you go. Well, let's go ahead and jump into this. And this is something again was a something that I mean we had talked about it on this week in Bourbon between Ryan and I. And not to this extent, but this really kind of jumped off the page for me when everybody started going crazy over the new Weller line, which is the, uh, you know, the Emmer wheat and all these other kind of crazy yeast strains that are going to be coming out with. And I believe it was bottled at a relatively low proof, maybe 94 or something like that, and had a price tag of $500. And that kind of just got me thinking. And, and that's just looking at this, this general as a consumer as somebody who's been around bourbon for a while, as a lot of us that are listening to this, you're, you're whiskey enthusiasts, and to start thinking to ourselves, 
Like, does bourbon really need $500 bottles? I want to kind of take it in a few different ways and I'll kind of open up to the floor here. But, you know, I want to look at this from as a consumer. Is this something that we really want or we need? Is this something that as a category, like this is good for it because it kind of puts us up there in an upper echelon and makes us be a little more, I guess you could say, in the same conversation as scotch and high-end Macallans and stuff like that? Or is this just something that's like, hey, it's you're trying to just make a make a dime off of a, a big boom right now, and that's probably not the way to do it. So I kind of want to get some thoughts, uh, and I know I, I kind of opened up a few different topics, but whoever wants to jump in first looks like Jordan unmiked first. So Jordan, jump in with Boom, it. hit that buzzer quick. So I've been thinking about this a lot over the past few hours when, when you raised the question, and um, this answer is probably going to piss off a lot of folks. As a consumer, do I want to see $500 whiskeys? No. Does the industry need it? Yes. And so here's my logic with this. So there's going to be some brands that just do cash grabs. So I can think of some Kentucky Owl releases, which are just not justifiable to throw out a huge price tag. And then I think of others like Barrel Bourbon that have done their good, better, best model with their great gold label, grade label, standard label. And it feels it does two things for the industry. One, the amount of readers and people that reach out to us that say, hi, I like to spend X amount of money on my boss or my best friend or some wedding gift. And it needs to be like four or $500. And the moment I tell them, hey, there's nothing really out there right now for you to buy. Next question. What can I get? Like what scotch would you recommend? Well, all right. That's kind of silly. Like you, you started off wanting bourbon. Like why would you switch categories? There is just a need. The second thing is it, it helps drive. I realize some innovation is going to be gimmicky, but knowing that you can charge a higher price tag and knowing that there's a defined category for more expensive whiskey, it does open up the ability for distillers to really be innovative and take big risks if they know that they could actually end up being able to charge that, right? It's really hard to do a super innovative thing knowing that you have to, <laughs> knowing that you have to price your bottle at like $80. There's only so much you can do, right? There's the cost is a huge factor in here. As a consumer going to the store, I love the fact that you can go pick up a bottle of $20 bourbon, $30 bourbon, $40 bourbon, and still be pretty pleased. I think there's there's no doubt there's always going to be bourbons like that out there. However, the fact of the matter is, not all bourbon is for everyone. So those $500 bottles might not be for you, but that doesn't mean you still can't get really good bourbon. But there is a defined category for others out there who do want to spend that amount of money. And it'd be silly for an industry not to take advantage of that and not to also use that to fuel innovation and go after larger experiments, larger projects. They can recoup some of the costs and really try out different things that they might not have been able to do years ago because they knew the ceiling was really like 80 bucks. It's just the state of the business. So, you know, I feel both ways being a consumer myself, but also really thinking about it just from an industry standpoint, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Exactly what Jordan says, a consumer and what I grew up on. Do I think Kentucky bourbon? Is that what I wanted to represent? But I think for it to keep growing and keep pushing, you're going to have to have this luxury exclusivity. There's just so much money, you know, that's being spent like at Napa or, you know, high-end auctions at Sotheby's, you know, they're led by McAllen's and crazy rare bottles. It's like, hell, McAllen partners with every damn brand out there and charges, you know, a new car comes down. They're like, oh, new McAllen, limited edition, you know, $20,000 bottle. But I think, like you said, there's that opportunity to grab that attention of someone that's in that luxury market where there's just not that available right now to them. There's a few, but most of them that are like that premium are in that two to $300 range. And I've had the same discussion with friends. They're like, I need to spend 500 to $1,000 a bottle. And you can't send them you know, to a secondary because they want to expense it or this or that. And it's like, okay. So yes, it's necessary to, do I think a $500 bourbon is going to be better than a a hundred to $200 bottle? Probably not, or even a 75, but you know, perception is reality in a lot of people's minds. And I think we are missing that scotch kind of has that still has that advantage over bourbon is bourbon still kind of like the, the more common consumer everyday working man's drink, whereas let's elevate it and get some good offerings out there. And while the the Daniel Weller release annoys me because it's like another Beanie Baby, you know, that people won't get, but uh, I think it's necessary and people will think it's cool. Now, I also want to preface this because there there are, I, I'm going to agree that there are some bottles that are probably worth 
500. I mean, of course, Mictor's 20 comes to mind, which is well over 500. You've got some other, you know, you, you've got your Willett family estates that might be 17 years and older that are to go for way more than that. I think the one that, that this, this kind of caught my attention is because somebody said, okay, so this is basically an 11 year weller at 93 proof. And that's the justification. So I think that was because it was made in the small little Colonel E.H. Taylor mash tub or whatever it is. And I think that's probably where it came out to say like, like when you think of this, you think of some other uh, smaller releases by other smaller brands that maybe don't necessarily have large double digit numbers on them or something like that. And they're, they're charging an arm and a leg. And maybe it's because they put them in a nice decanter, or maybe it's just because, hey, we have to have some sort of luxury offering. I think that's probably what I'm getting at. So I, I make sure that we're not lumping this in the same bucket as something that is like a Michter's 20 type of realm. Yeah, I think that's the tough part is I, I can agree with what everybody said already, where it's like, hey, I think to elevate the category and be on par with scotch and fine wines, like you, you do need those higher end releases. And Truly what justifies them, you know, a lot of times with scotch at the age, I think that's much tougher with bourbon. But, you know, if we're, if we're looking at the Daniel Weller, it's like, okay, we have a, you, you know, I think it's like four proof points over Weller 12, but with a little fancier bottle and a little better backstory, even though, you know, Buffalo Trace was the one coming out and saying like, oh, Pappy should never be above $100. Well, then once they got all the hype, they just started releasing all these super premium, you know, double eagles and all the different, what it was, it was not night no four. What's the ones I'm thinking of, um, with, with the decanter set and everything. So it is funny that it's like, it's not even a special bottle at all. Like I don't quite understand the hype behind that one, but I think there are bottles that do kind of lend to whether it's from a distillery that's out of production, you know, a 20 year old bottle, something special, even like the old fits that uh, Heaven Hill released. I think those are some incredible bottles. So I, I think that kind of pushes the entire industry higher. We, we've all fielded the questions we talked about of, hey, I want to spend X on this person. What should I buy? But within that, I think it's probably important to kind of call out the, the the bad actors of bottles that are just, it's like, no, this isn't special at all. You just do a super expensive price tag on it. And it's the same thing that you're also selling for you know, $30, $40. So I think it's tricky once you start getting into that because brands get greedy, brands want more money. And I, and I get it to an extent, but I think it, once that $500 becomes more normal, people are like, well, let's just throw it in whatever fancy bottle and slap a super expensive price tag on it and call it a day. So I think that's why we don't need more of that. We just need more unique, cool releases. I think, Blake, you got to remember, compasses aren't cheap to build into corks. So, I mean, that's like $450 of the cost right there. <laughs> it's like the old peerless closure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know that I have anything new to add to that. I mean, I, there used to be a time when I wasn't going to spend $50 on a bottle of bourbon, then I upped it up to 100 and and uh it just it keeps happening um but I, <laughs> like it's just like i just i'll put the credit card down whatever yeah just put it yeah we'll just get it but but if you can get some innovation i mean people people like us people who are watching people who are listening it, we're gonna want something special we're gonna want something unique we're not gonna want the same thing that they're they're putting into other things it's just in a fancy bottle or fancy closure. So we're looking at it that way, but there's this whole rest of the the market that's not going to know any better. And I don't know that the brands can help themselves because they, I, I think they do. I agree with you all. They, they kind of need it. Um, if you're going to compete with scotch, we'll continue to bitch about it. We'll be there. We'll be the voice of reason, but it's, it's happening. I mean, it'll be $500 bottles, thousand dollar bottle retail. I mean, it's here practically. Yeah, I think there's as bad as it sounds. Like I'm on I'm on the side of the consumer here, but I want to put maybe a little bit of justification on the producer side. And I think we saw this the first time with Whistlepig when they came out with their Boss Hog releases and they priced it at secondary a little bit well above secondary. So by doing that, well A, you remove one element of the market of where people are just going to buy it just to resell it. So checkbox there. And everything that's happening, it's like it goes more money goes back to the hands of the distiller, the distributor, 
the retailer. So it all kind of comes full circle from that point. The other thing is that when you when this happens, like, okay, that glass case starts filling up. And that glass case is something where exactly what people have been saying here all along is, well, where do I get that 300, that 500, that thousand dollar bottle? It's like, well, you just go to the glass case and you just see what's there. And that doesn't mean that you're going to buy that and the value is intrinsically going to double as soon as you walk out of the store. The value is the value. That's what it is. Like You just get what you get. And that kind of goes back into a discussion. I think that Ryan had a point that he brought up, had been a, a roundtable a long time ago, saying that as the production of bourbon starts catching up, it'll be kind of like fine wines. You know, you go to your local wine store around here and you say, I need a really nice bottle of wine. Well, they have that. They have it available. It's always available. And maybe this is what it's going to get towards is saying like, oh, I need a 500 bottle. Oh, I've got this Daniel Emmer Weller over here. You should probably buy that. Oh, what? Tell me more. Well, here's the story. Can I tape it and flip it? No, you can't flip it. It's already, it's actually going to lose money after you walk out of here. It's one of those things that as a producer, maybe it starts taking away that angle from it. And we start getting to more of what a, I think probably what bourbon should have been all along is that it's not just a race to chase to go and bunker stuff and hopefully it attains value. And then all of a sudden you've got a college graduate's worth of bourbon sitting in your basement. But that's uh, that's potentially where, where it is. It, it, it's not becoming a beanie baby or a baseball collector thing. Instead, it's just getting back to buying and finding either unique or different whiskeys. Yeah, I think we're, you know, scotch and even fine wines, like you said, that you can go to a store and, I mean, there's just always something from scotch or a high-end rum, you know, and like Nickel and Nickel or Camus, I can always go find that every time if I want to have a special moment it's not a big deal. Bourbon doesn't have that luxury right now. It's like the rare bottles are very limited. Uh, no one has access to them. And so pricing them that way, I think it makes sense for the, the companies and the brands, but also the consumer too, because it, it it makes it an easier transaction than all the shenanigans that's going on behind scenes to get to those rare bottles. So I don't I don't know. I, obviously, I, wanna, I want these great whiskeys to be affordable and obtainable, but they're not obtainable because they're affordable. So it's like if they're priced right, then maybe they'll be more obtainable, you know, for, for the people that want to buy those and enjoy them. Maybe that's just what it takes. Yeah. And I like Eric's comment here. He says that if I ran a distillery, there would be a $500, a thousand and a $5,000 bourbon in every gift shop. I mean, he also made a really good point earlier that some people spend $20,000 to come and do a tour and do all this stuff on the bourbon trail and they're buying $40 bottles. So there's something to be said there too. All right. Any other thoughts before we move on to the next topic here? I'm just glad I have bourbon in my closet behind me. <laughs> <laughs> is, is it enough to pay for your daughter's college graduation? I might do all right in that. <laughs> well, he's still got those wall turkey diamonds stocked up somewhere, so that's going to be no. at least. <laughs> Man, when those turn in the market, I'm ready. The- <laughs> I've got the market cornered. Ready to go. That's what's in his glass case, the diamonds. <laughs> Come on over for diamond, guys. <laughs> All right. So this next topic, this is something that I, I looked at it and it, it actually just spawned because of the Four Roses. They called it a brand relaunch, but really it was the new tasting kits that are coming out where you get to have all of the 10 recipes. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus Magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. 
Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. So this next topic, this is something that I, I looked at it and it, it actually just spawned because of the Four Roses. They call it a brand relaunch, but really it was the new tasting kits that are coming out where you get to have all of the 10 recipes that we all know that that makes up their flagship blend that makes up their small batch and uh, very small batch and all you know of course they're limited editions every single year and as a bourbon enthusiast and a whiskey geek this is something that you only get a chance to do if you do a single barrel selection you get to go there and they'll put i mean if if you're lucky you have all 10 recipes there on one day and you'll have them on your little wheel in front of you the, the lazy susan and you get to you get to try them all, and that's where you get to choose your single barrel that speaks to you. And I think the one thing that we could say that it's special, we've been able to do this multiple times, and so every time you go back, you just don't always choose OESK. There's always something else that might be speaking to you that day. Now, this is something that I saw, and I said, okay. And this Brian and I, Ryan and I, we talked about it. We said this is something that Four Roses should do all the time. I know it's gift shop only right now, and it's supposed to be just limited edition, but this is something that should probably be in their gift shop 24-7, and I'm sure it'll sell out relatively quickly. And it kind of got me thinking, because I think it was two two roundtables ago, we started talking about, well, our single Rickhouse bottling is going to be the next big thing. And I go, well, that could be the next big thing, because you could do those at scale, because you can get bottles out to a lot of places. But Doing tasting kits takes a, a lot more effort to kind of put together. Maybe it's a holiday gift that you put together for, uh, you know, shopping for loved ones and at the end of the year. But how cool would it be to go and have all the different recipes and mash bills from Heaven Hill and Jim Beam? And, you know, you think of even smaller places, like what's it going to take? Even Pursuit United, you have all three of the individual components plus the blend to kind of see how the blend comes together. So do you think this could start a new trend where we'll see other distilleries start hopping on board to, to do this sort of thing as well? I hope it does. I think what Four Roses is doing is awesome. Limited edition experience. I am guarantee you, like you said, Kenny, they'll open it up to be a year-round type thing in the future. Taking a step farther, I think just it doesn't need to be limited or it doesn't need to be special bourbons or ryes or American malts they're putting in there. It can just be everything. The number of times we'll use like Old Forester. The number of times people are like, well, is 1910 better or 1920? You know, I can only buy one bottle. And I thought to myself, why do they not have like a like a 200 milliliter, three or four, just like sample kit out there at all times in the stores? And then like, why doesn't Wild Turkey do that with their stuff? Or just have, it doesn't need to be anything special. It could just be your basic components. Like let consumers figure out really quickly what they like and hone in on that palate. And I'd love to see the, the tasting quote unquote kit experience really like take off. If this kickstarts the industry into doing this more, not only with special editions, but just with everyday releases, I think that's fantastic. Because it's really hard when consumers are starting off. And again, I say this almost every time on the show, everyone listening, us ourselves, we're not your typical consumer, right? We make a very, very, very small percentage of the overall bourbon market. And so when you talk to folks, they can only have one or two bottles of bourbon at a given time in their house, right? That's all they like to keep. Anything more is just successful in their book. So it's hard to recommend like, well, try this. And if you don't like it, after you drink it in like a month or two, go try this bottle instead. So to have a tasting experience at home at all times for different brands, fantastic idea. Yeah, I love this. I thought it was brilliant. And I, and I hope it's a sign that like maybe that with this kit that in the future with you know, expansions and this and that, that those recipes will be available as single barrels, like out in the market, you know, where people can buy those, not just getting a single barrel selection that you'll be able to go, you know, to stores and buy those, you know, that were picked by Four Roses, but they'll, they'll be out in the market because the Four Roses single barrels are one of the most fun, interesting expressions out there, but you can't ever find them anymore. But this would be a cool kit to find that and find which recipes you like. And then, if you can go to the store and find the single barrels, 
that have the you know the recipe like i think it's great i mean so many brands could do this will it could do it they have six different mash bills i love that high rye mash bill but they don't have any offerings that that are just that they're all blends and stuff but it, it, i think it too it would just show like these companies like okay these are what consumers are gravitating towards you know they're really picking this one then they can kind of pick the products that they're going to invest in in the future i, th- I think it's just a, a brilliant idea and I, I i'm i'm like you jordan i don't know why they should be there all the time <laughs> It should, I think it should be a staple. Staple for everyone except MGP. That'd be hilarious. If they <laughs> that's, that's right. I'm glad I kind of have a counter opinion here. I, I think it'll never happen, to be honest. I think Four Roses is the only one where it is really interesting. And otherwise, like with these smaller bottles, the glass cost in a 200 ml to a 750 is about the exact same. The labor cost may be even more to do it. So now you're having to charge way higher. And I mean, we run into it a lot on Sealbox with just the random unique brands, people always say, oh man, I wish they came in a sample pack or 200. And every time we go and sell it like that, people are, nah, no, I'll I'll wait to see what other bottle comes along. So I think Four Roses is kind of the exception because that's been talked about for so long with the 10 unique recipes. Really, I think when we talk about, man, I wish it was in a smaller format. It's just a wish that we could all get a rare and limited bottle instead. Man, I wish Stag came in a 200 ml. There'd be more to go around. I just don't see people buying it as much. And I think it's kind of counterintuitive, but I just think brands will, they want to get the bottle in your hands. They want you to drink it. They want you to come back and buy another one. They're not necessarily inclined on making us consumers happy or or kind of enthusiast happy like they want the guy who's going to buy wild turkey 101 175 and then buy the same thing two weeks later so while i was more excited than any other bourbon news this year to see that four roses was releasing this i think that's incredible i mean it's I, i feel like i've participated in you know the unofficial version of them enough with a bunch of groups and stuff over the years I think it's great, but realistically, I just think it's too much of a nightmare from, you know, it's got to be bottled, it's got to be shipped, it's got to be on a shelf and take up more shelf space, and they could just throw a 750 out there and it'd probably sell. So gift shop only, I think that should be the way to go. But in general, I just don't see the small format catching much, much of a, uh, a tailwind. So I don't, I don't know anything about scotch, but when I went to Scotland a while ago, that's what I came back with was like from each distillery I went to, I got the little sample set and they were, I mean, they were small, they're practically worthless, but it's kind of something to bring home. And when, so maybe this is again, not targeted to us, but targeted to the the rest of the bourbon community. And I, I agree with you on the gift shop thing. It's something to get there. Four Roses obviously makes the most sense, but you know Heaven Hill tries it. I think others could try it just to give you know some little nice box set for people to go home with. It's all, I mean, it's great marketing. I think. Well, I'd have to go dig it out. Remember, Heaven Hill did something like this. Yeah, they tried it. Didn't work yeah. so well. Didn't work out. It, it was. was uh, they started just giving them away to us because <laughs> they came in. Well, the. They were like, yeah, the test tube shots, 100 ml test tubes, you know, of each recipe and whatever. And it just didn't. It was like Elijah Craig, Larceny. I remember seeing Bernheim. Yeah. And yeah. And that's kind of exactly what we're talking about. And nobody bought them. (laughs) Yeah. But if you did, I think it'd be different if you did like Elijah Craig 18, Henry McKenna, William Heaven Hill. And but that's bottles that are going to sell no matter what. Exactly. And I think you're you're also thinking of that's limited edition stuff like this. Like this is like really essence to like a whiskey geek. So instead of actually putting a brand name on there, don't even do that. Just put the mash bill and and just put that next to it in some unmarked thing. You're not gonna say like, oh, this is Elijah Craig. No, this is our 70 blah 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 blah. That's what we would get. Yeah, yeah. that that's a good idea. Well, no, you, I think you were saying like uh, you know, it's a pain, but I know f- for a fact, like like airplane bottles and stuff for like some of the highest highest margin products for these companies, you know, doing like miniatures and stuff. So maybe the way they price it, you know, the way the Four Roses priced, I mean, there's probably 50 cents of whiskey in there and they're in each, <laughs> in, you know, in a 50 ml. So it's, it's probably, you know, you got three, four bucks and 
product cost, you know, glass. I mean, you're probably like fifteen, twenty dollars maybe for everything, and they're selling it for what? How much? Hundred and thirty. Yeah. So I mean, that's like, uh, but it four roses is a unique situation that this could play in. But I, I don't know. I think because I hate too. I have so many damn bottles, but I want to try stuff. And like, even if I like it, I don't necessarily want a whole bottle of it. So it'd just be cool to have like a 200 ml or something that I just have. And it's like, all right, I'm done with it. You know, I don't have to have a whole bottle sitting here that I'm going to wait for somebody to come drink it with me because I won't drink it by myself, but there's, I'm still waiting. So <laughs> I think it's also, so Four Roses package looks great, at least from the outside, not having one in hand yet. Heaven Hill with their test tubes how many whiskeys do you buy in test tubes? Like, that's just not appealing whatsoever. Like, I mean, bottom line, like the packaging kind of killed it. I remember walking by that a million times going, I don't want to pour out of a test tube. Look, give me a mini bottle. Give me a regular standard plastic glass size bottle, not a test tube. And then like you have people over to try stuff. Hey, you're pouring out of this test tube. So I, I, you know, it it is a good lesson. Like it works, but you just can't throw it in wherever. Like you kind of also have to put thought behind like how you're presenting it. I will say those are great for golfing because like you could fill those up and it fits like, you know, it doesn't take like a whole bottle does. I mean, it was perfect for that, but yes, I agree. Cause you're not going to stack a test tube on your bar. You know, it's like, it's going it, to, they rolled around. It was like quite awkward. Like <laughs> you don't throw in your bag, like all the random samples at a hundred ML or 200 ML into your golf bag. That's the perfect flask type for the, uh, for the golf course. That's right. I also want to give a shout out because there are people in the chat that, and especially DJ from Rare Bird as well as Ender's OSC said, remember Jefferson's also had something like this. They had their wood series and then Beam used to have all their small batch collection of minis as well. And Makers even had a set of either three or it was either 200 or 375 mLs, but they had their also, I think it might've been like their regular cash strength and then Makers 46 or something like that. I think it was something in that regard. But also I want to bring up two other things because Blake, you had a great way to kind of come against this because I think that's one thing as as an enthusiast, we look at this and go, absolutely, it's the no-brainer. Why wouldn't you do this? And you brought up some of the logistics behind it. And that's what DJ from Rare Birdie also said, where's the Pursuit United tasting kit? And I said, let's talk about it because I always love whiskey. You know, talked about basically having those kits that are great for virtuals or for introducing someone to the brand. said, but it's a production team's headache. And that's really where it comes into the operation side of things. As Blake said, it's like, and here's, here's the thing. It's like, you want to go and you want to order, if you want to get just off the shelf glass and just get small little things. Yeah, sure. You can do that. If you want to get a small little mini or a hundred ML, that's very unique or a small replica version of your existing bottle, you got to order a container of that, right? So a container of regular 750s is like 20,000 bottles. So you take that and you times it by seven. So, I mean, just imagine how many bottles you need to be able to purchase just to start doing these tasting kits at 100 ml or whatever it's going to be. So from a production standpoint, that's a lot more glass that has to be ordered. That's whole new labels. I mean, literally everything from from packaging start to finish has to be redone for this 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 whole thing. And then to get it on the shelf, even if gift shop only, we'll say gift shop is is great. That's easy to do because you own the shelf. Beyond that, to get it to distribution, that's a whole other animal because this is going to take up probably two or three spots that would probably be on a shelf, not necessarily just what a 750 would take up. So therefore, you're making a retailer make a choice of whether they're going to sell this or whether they're going to case stack it or is this going to sell? Is it not going to sell? So there is definitely a lot of factors that go to play in just from a, a pipeline and production standpoint of where do you get, to, how do you finally get it to the end consumer? And if it's outside of the gift shop, that's a much larger story and more of a pain point to go through as well. Although does that change as shipping laws slowly start to morph and I think more distillers are going to be able to ship out in the coming years? Does that change your viewpoint, Kenny? Especially if you could do like a brand starter pack or brand sample pack, and maybe they even throw in like one bottle that's like special so it gets people to purchase it even if they taste everything in the past. Yeah, you're right. And as selfishly as, as somebody that also owns a brand, we'd love for you just to buy all of our products in 750s. Like that's, that's honestly what we'd rather have you do. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you would. I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure everyone would, right? But, you know. Anybody else have any uh, other final comments or... I, I loved Matt Cusick said he wanted to try the the bullet sampler pack. 
next to the <laughs> to the four, four roses. Next to the four roses, <laughs> side by yeah. side. Yeah, that was uh, pretty comical. Tasted <laughs> them side by side. They're <laughs> pretty different in style. <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to do it for this particular roundtable. I think we had a lot of good conversations, some good topics to be able to bring up, be able to talk about the just the cultural aspect of knowing, does this does this hobby do everything we need? Do we need higher expensive bourbons priced at crazy dollars? And needless to say, yes, we do. We've got to be able to compete with the big boys and we've got to give people that are coming in that want to spend that kind of money. Well, let's give, let's give them the ability to do that as well. And then I think we also brought up some good points about the the sample kits, tasting kits, whatever it's going to be, and either whether that's a way to help people introduce yourselves to a brand or if it's just like, well, that's just going to be way too much logistical effort. So we'll kind of see what that's going to happen. I think this is all going to kind of come full circle. As we had mentioned on the chat, there's been a lot of companies that have tried this and failed. It looks like Four Roses is, is probably going to be okay with this one. But we'll see if anybody tries to sit there and bring up that old flame in their marketing meetings and, and see if they're like, let's y'all ready to tackle this one again? Yeah. People are different now, right? Let's give it another chance. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's a home run. Christmas gifts, sample packs, especially with high-end offerings. I mean, I think those would roll. People would like those, you know. People would go crazy for it. Yeah. People would go crazy for the high end. I don't, I don't disagree with that. Oh, I know. I mean... You do a Heaven Hill five sample pack Christmas time. I mean, those things would fly. Same thing with turkey. You did like the, you do a Russell's 10 with a Russell's 13 and a, the mass, you know, these warehouse locations and a sample pack for Christmas. I mean, charge 200 bucks. People would, I mean, it, it'd be such a profit margin, not maker for, I think for these companies. I don't know. I, I think it's, I think it's a good idea. Don't forget to throw in a little bit of wild turkey honey in there while you're doing it too. <laughs> few rtds yeah uh, yeah and then you can do the amberana sampler pack there you honey go <laughs> the flavored whiskey pack with amberana uh honey i, I did like your post on that ryan oh yeah yeah thank you these are our amberanas yeah <laughs> that was brian bikey's idea i just implemented it there we <laughs> it go funny. he may have stolen that from somewhere i feel like i definitely threw <laughs> <laughs> We have to just combine all of our marketing resources into one. That's what it comes down to. Yep, exactly. We're, that's what broke startups do. You know, we compile our resources together. For sure. All right, let's go ahead and let's close it out. So, Brian, I'll start with you. All right. Thanks again, guys. This is a fun one. Brian was sipping corn, bourbon justice. I enjoyed it. Uh, I was at the, as personal note, got burnt at the uh, Reds game, played Atlanta today. So, I'm, man, I was ready for a bourbon when I got back home and sat down. So, thank you guys for that. We're here for you. Thank you. My, my support. <laughs> you're all my support group. Absolutely. Jordan. Hey, thanks for having me again, guys. Jordan from BreakingBourbon.com. Once again, always great conversations. All right. And Blake, coming out with the new Sealbox test tube releases. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I should reintroduce myself because pr nobody probably knows what my voice actually sounds like to be this clear. <laughs> so it is actually me. It's it's Blake from Sealbox and Bourboner. So always fun to be here so thanks for having me for sure make sure you go shop at sealed box for all of your whiskey needs and with that cheers everybody we'll see you next time toodles cheers cheers